You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley and joining me this week is Ben Stegner. How are you doing, Ben? Doing good. Uh, this is our first time, well, not talking in 2024, but talking on the podcast in 2024. So yeah. good to be back with yeah. you. Uh, a fresh year, new new exciting things. Yeah. It's, wow, it's good. To, yeah. It's good to have you back on the show. And um, obviously we, we, we've talked about other things over um, but the, over the f- past few weeks, but this is, this is, this is like proper talking isn't it this isn't like shop talking we're just having fun and chatting and just going through the the, the, the recent news that affects how we use our technology and a bit of tips and tricks we, we might be skipping the tips and tricks in a very in a sort of um they're not going to be obvious tips and tricks this week basically that something's come along in the gaming world which might have been hinted at for a while and that's like our, our main news item and following that we're going to have a little conversation which may go on and on and on about gaming services so are you ready to start uh i believe i am okay so an executive at ubisoft uh philippe tremblay who's the director of subscriptions has said that m- gamers will need to get and this is in quotes this is his words comfortable not owning their games before video game subscriptions truly take off. He says, I don't have a crystal ball, but when you look at the different subscription services that are out there, we have had a rapid expansion over the last couple of years, but it's still relatively small to other models. We're seeing in expansion on console, on PC, from an Ubisoft standpoint, it's already been great. One of the things we saw is that gamers are used to, a little bit like DVD, having and owning their games. This is the important bit. That's the consumer shift that needs to happen. They got comfortable not owning their CD collection or DVD collection. That's a transformation that's been a bit slower to happen in games. Uh, As gamers grow comfortable in that aspect, you don't lose your progress. If you resume your game at another time, your progress file is still there. That's not being deleted. Uh, You don't lose what you've built. So it's about feeling comfortable with not owning your game. um, I'm not comfortable with not owning my game. What about you? I'm kind of mixed, I suppose. I, I, I like my initial reaction to that is to think like, oh no, that's like awful. I wouldn't ever want to have that option taken away. But I do think one of the it's kind of already happening with digital releases. Um, it, well, no matter what it is, if you buy a game on the Switch eShop or the PlayStation Store or Steam. Technically, when you do that, you're not buying the game. You're buying a license to access the game. So if it's delisted from the store or if your account is banned for whatever reason, like all the games that you have are gone. So technically, you don't own it because like, I guess I guess the word own is kind of hard to you know, it depends on how you define that. Do you yeah. own it because you can access it or do you own it because it's yours and if somebody else tries to take it, Like you have the right to, you know, if you own property, like it's yours and someone can't just come on and do what they want. But if you own a digital game and they can take it away from you, do you really own it? So I don't know. I I think games for a long time have had that really good mix between physical copies and digital and things like Game Pass. So I think totally removing the physical option would not go over well with people and removing that option would be 
a shame to lose, I think. The thing is, this this if you're going to redefine ownership of something, you redefine the ownership of something, then you redefine how it is how it exists within within you know previously accepted structures of law and commerce. So if I, if you if I have a game and I'm told if I bought a game and I'm told that I don't actually own the game that I've actually bought, then if I duplicate the game, then that, surely I can argue that I'm not pirating it because I don't own it in the first place. I'm I'm not pirating it. I'm making a duplicate of it because it's semantics, isn't it? Yeah, there is a lot of odd ways that that stuff interacts. Like if you somehow, like, say you have a game on Game Pass and you're able to clone it and give it to i don't know if you'd be able to do that but say you did like is that you don't own it but you're letting i guess it's be like sharing your cable subscription you know if you let someone like tap into your line so that they can watch cable and not pay for it it's kind of like that i guess so i'm not defending this i'm just it is a, you're a weird bit of semantics like you say with owning things and I mean, there are games where, like with some digital games, like I said, if they get delisted, it's still on your console if you downloaded it. But if you ever delete it or you have to factory reset your system or whatever, you can't re-download it because it's gone. Yeah. So, I don't know. It is, I, I wonder if we'll ever really get there. Uh, I mean, because well, even with other mediums like music, right? Like most people get their music from Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, but there are still CDs and vinyl and everything yeah. if you want to buy them, if yeah. you want to. Well, and the it's vinyl kind of been things. like that with games. Vi- vinyl's going, yeah. going resurgence, yeah. Uh, there's a guy called Mike Bong who's a Twitch streamer. He tweets, remember friends, if purchase isn't ownership, then piracy isn't theft, which is kind of what I was getting on getting at before yeah there's an interesting post on forbes about this um by uh contributor ollie barder to all gaming executives if gamers cannot own their games you are green lighting piracy i'm more concerned that if they are going to put all their eggs in one basket on this then the game publisher industry which is kind of it's a bit of a fiction because it doesn't really exist in terms of anything other than having a big name and living off the spoils, let's say, of and, and the reputation of being able to uh, physically publish discs and have the uh, infrastructure to build a system such as um, Ubisoft's, uh, Ubisoft's Uplay, I'm not sure if it's still called that, or Epic Games or Steam or whatever. Um, well, Steam's different because they never did physical publishing. But, you know, I'm talking about system um, companies that have had physical publishing, Microsoft, um, switching to digital. Now, as soon as they sp- switch to digital, number one, they don't really exist in a physical term. They're not releasing physical goods. And their entire presence in the publishing industry, they don't need to be there. The developers can go directly through... Uh, go directly to steam or go directly to whatever distribution service they don't actually need a publisher there anymore so yeah i'm that wonder- true that's another big aspect yeah so are we edging towards the publishers just basically putting all of their eggs in one basket and suddenly it's 1983 games crash all over again I mean, it makes me wonder. I mean, I guess it is kind of a different world for like indies and big big games because yeah, the I mean I, that's been like the case for years. Obviously, that like indie developers don't need to approach whatever massive publisher and say, hey, you know, publish our game. They can just self publish it or go with a smaller like 
second party type of publisher like Team Seventeen or whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I. It. It makes me wonder. I, I like will people. Like if Ubisoft decides to do this, and that's the only way to get, there's no way to actually like buy their games. Will people just ignore Ubisoft and still play games that they want to play from other companies, like from indie developers? Because the other thing, I guess if you apply it backwards, a lot of indie games, there's no physical version of them because the company is just too small to, sure. like it wouldn't make sense for them to print copies of it. Sometimes companies like Fangamer, when, a, when an indie game gets pretty big, like Undertale or something, they'll make physical copies because it's popular and people want to own it. I get that. But the average indie game, apparently people are okay with not owning it. But again, that, that there's that line of, if it's a subscription versus buying a digital copy is one owning it i don't know it's yeah it's um, um it's, a, it's, it's a weird mix it is a it, i mean it is a strange situation all in all but you know i i, I just am not comfortable with uh, those comments from ubisoft now that's uh, it's interesting that we should be on this topic because I'm going to hit this button here, make a noise, and then I'm going to tell you about something that happened to me this week and how difficult I found it. Now, a few years ago, I bought a copy of Red Dead Redemption 2 not long after it came out on the Xbox One. One of the best gaming experiences I've ever had. And I enjoyed it so much that when the PC version came out, I thought, well, I should probably have a version on PC as well, if only to uh, try out some of the mods that are inevitably going to arrive. I also had a Steam Deck at this point, and the possibility of being able to run Red Dead Redemption 2 on a Steam Deck, that's, yeah, you know, that was something that I found quite attractive. Sure. So I bought the version for the Steam Deck on Epic Games because it was cheaper than the version on SteamOS or the SteamOS version hadn't come out yet. I can't quite remember which it was. Um, but there was a problem with the um, Rockstar Social Club launching on the Steam Deck through Epic Games. Now, yes, I could have just done it on a PC, but I didn't. Just pretend that didn't. Pretend. Just pretend. Um, anyway, so as time went on, I tried it a few more times. It didn't work. I read the forums to check the support lines and everything. There were people who claimed to have been able to run it. I couldn't do it. Lots of tweaks with the various uh, uh, compatibility layer software that comes on the Steam Deck. Still got nowhere with that. Then Red Dead Redemption 2 was on offer on Steam. So I could download it directly to the Steam Deck through Steam and run it on SteamOS natively. Uh, and, uh, you know, that one works. Now, fast forward, my wife wants to play Red Dead Redemption 2 versus me. She can't play on the Xbox version because I refuse to pay for a subscription, any subscription with Microsoft. So there's no online option on the Red Dead Redemption 2 on the Xbox. So the only options are Steam and Epic Games. Now, it made sense. Use the Epic Games version. I'm not using it. Kerry can use it. Sure. This is where we run into a problem because both the Steam version that I've got on the Steam Deck and the Epic Games version that I initially tried to, attempted to install on the Steam Deck are linked to my Rockstar account. This commences a week-long exchange of emails between myself and Rockstar 
about detaching Red Dead Redemption 2 from my Epic Games account. You will not believe how frustrating this process was and how difficult it was for what, to me, seems to be a rather straightforward request. Yeah, I think, in, I mean, in most accounts nowadays, when you link your account to Twitch and Facebook and Google and all that, if you're, you're even like just Xbox and Nintendo and all that, it's a pretty simple, if you link it, you just sign in. And then if you want to unlink it, you just click a button. I thought, yeah. I thought it was usually that simple, oh, but apparently God. not. No, yeah. I mean, I've, I thought it was going to be that. I mean, I spent about an hour looking for the for the correct button to do that and uh googling and thinking you know seeing links saying no oh, no you have to you have to email them think well that can't be right it's 2024 now oh who who would do that oh yeah, my god email that's a, that sounds like very 20 years ago yeah so um what happened is i sent an email the, the, i mean the initial request uh it was like two requests basically the first one it was what was the date on the first one i think let me just take that one's five five four and the other one's got a slightly different number. The, the initial gist of this is that basically uh, 10 days ago, I emailed them and their message was basically, you need to go away and speak to Epic Games. <laughs> and I said, no, oh, okay. that's not right. You've, mis you've misunderstood my request here. So there's a second email went in. And um, then they gave me a, res a standard response of um i i don't because i'd already done it i knew what information they needed so i sent all the information they then sent me a cookie cutter response asking me for the information that i'd already sent them oh my goodness <laughs> then um so i respond saying right i i don't really know what, why are you asking me these questions i've already answered them and then they uh making a big deal over the fact that um, unlinking the accounts will result in losing progress made on GTA Online and Red Dead Online. I just, you know, I responded, well, as you can see, I haven't played either of these games on Epic Games. It's I was going to say, you've, you haven't played them on Epic, so how would you lose any yeah, progress exactly. there? Yeah, yeah. Um, at one point, I responded, I don't understand your reply, which doesn't seem to meet the request that I made. I have no interest in playing GTA 5 or GTA Online, as your record surely show I've not played these titles. Also, I have not mentioned Steam. They mentioned Steam for some reason. I do not wish Steam to be mentioned again. This is about Epic Games. Can you explain to me why it's so difficult to detach my Epic Games account from my Rockstar accounts? And... Um, about a day later, it finally came through with the request completed. But the, the entire process took about um, took about a week. It was just oh so frustrating goodness. just to, you know, something that could be a click in a menu and a little hamburger drop-down menu in the top right corner. Yeah, that is absurd. I, I don't think I've ever had any problems specifically like that. I've had a few problems with, I don't really use Twitch that much, but... Occasionally, Overwatch will do Twitch drops where if you watch X hours of whatever streamer playing the game, you get a, something on Overwatch. And I've had problems with it, like correctly recording how much time I've had. But right. the account linking thing, yeah, that's. And then you're always worried too with account linking, especially these days with crossplay and everything. You see those warnings, and it's like, okay, well, I'm trying to fix this problem, but if I if I unlink the account, am I like? deleting all of my progress like that's it's easy to misunderstand that or not know what's going to happen it seems i don't it, it feels very kind of 
old school, very sort of Web 2.0, doesn't it? That it should be so difficult. You, you, you know, you, it's like in the old days when you, you know, when you needed a new telephone line, you'd write to the telephone company. Say, could I have a new telephone line, please? You know, you you have to send a support request to do a basic account management task. It is yeah, insane. that seems like that should all be in your Rockstar account and just like a two-click, hey, yeah. you want to link it? Go here. Hey, you want to unlink it? Click here. Like, it's not yeah. hard. Click click this link that will send you in the email to confirm or to make sure that you're not yeah. an intruder or whatever. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's crackers. It's crazy. I don't know what they think they're playing at, really. But, uh, yeah, so if you do have any plans to uh, manage your Rockstar accounts um, vis-a-vis um, one uh, gaming distribution service to another uh it isn't an easy process so yeah so going back to this um this article about the the digital games and that um i'm just going to read this this comment verbatim i think it's interesting a consequence to this we don't talk about enough is the inevitable decrease in quality of games when this happens why would you invest in attempting to create a masterpiece if subscribers are paying each month regardless? It will be oh, a situation wow. where it's driven by quantity over quality. Just look at what's happening with television. I, I do think that's interesting, and I've yeah. thought about that too. Um, like with the fact with Game Pass, it's there's all Game Pass, PlayStation Plus, whatever. There's obviously a lot of games on there, and Game Pass does pretty well at having high quality titles like. Microsoft's first party games being available at launch, big indie games, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it is, if people are just paying, like if people are just going to pay to have access because they just want Game Pass and they're just going to open up whatever you put on it and play it, where, I mean, where is the incentive to make a really great game? Like traditionally, before microtransactions and everything, obviously, you know, you wanted to make a great game because people would buy it and that's how you made money. Now that's not really the case. No. Some games still make the most of their money from people just buying it. But with Game Pass, it is if, if everything is a subscription, what makes how do, how does the studio make more money if Microsoft is just making the money from Game Pass? I guess they distribute it. I, I should be more up to date on this. I guess they distribute it like YouTube Premium, where if you t- if you pay for YouTube Premium, then the creators that you watch your your subscription gets divvied up among them. I assume that's what happens with with Game Pass. Um, and somebody else mentioned a kind of a separate point, but still useful. So I'm going to read this as well. The, the biggest issue with services, comparing it to the likes of music and movies, is two main items. Number one, any given music track or movie is a minor investment. Number two, many streaming services keep their content for longer, and that's less of an issue because of number one. So one of the biggest misses from subscriptions like Game Pass is that you should have the ability to lock in a select few games of your choosing, so you don't have to worry about starting a long RPG only to be notified that it's leaving at the end of the month. Um, so, even, like you said, even with TV shows, you know, even if they leave the service that you're on, you can still switch to a different one. Not ideal, but it's still there. Um, with games, if it leaves the service, unless it happens to be on the other console and you have that, you don't really have a choice um, just to buy it. So... I think that is interesting too. If you could like lock a game in that you want to play until you can finish it, like kind of like renting a DVD sort of thing. Like once you've rented it, you can finish it, um, even if it goes away from Game Pass. But there's definitely some worries and concerns there. Like you have to be on their schedule. You know, if you start a game and you, maybe you only play a couple games a year, it's going to take you a few months to play a long RPG. You better just hope that it's not going to disappear from Game Pass halfway through you playing. 
Yeah. That's, um, I, there was a news item yesterday in the uh, gaming world that uh, there's a new game coming here. It is uh, Small Kingdoms uh, is coming out in uh, quarter two. It is okay. an indie developer, Bad Logic Studios. It's apparently a sole developer. Uh, Bad Logic Studios is a UK-based solo developer who's worked on grand strategy and real-time strategy games for 14 years. Uh, now, this game, um, which, which I really fancy, I have to say, Small Kingdoms, is basically um, building a medieval realm. Okay. And it's sort of, it's, uh, looking at the trailer, it's kind of a cross between a civilization and a total war game. So it's an independent developer making something that's kind of AAA standard gaming, strategy-wise, admittedly, not FPS or RPG. Um, and it looks fantastic, I have to say. There's a, um, I think there's a, just um, there's a thing called uh, Small Kingdoms Prologue, which is um, available to play uh, as, as a sort of a demo version. I'm, I, this really winds back to what I was saying earlier on in the show. I, I think indie games are going to, indie gamers, uh, big pardon, indie developers can really just step up here and bring in the quality. That I, I agree. I think there's a massive, um, a massive shortfall that has already started and appears to be just like rumbling on the horizon of just quality flatlining from the big name developers. It is. It's it's frustrating, especially there's when I think about my favorite games of the past like ten years. Almost all of them are indie. Not every single one, and Nintendo is kind of an exception. But games like Hades, Celeste. I mean, I, I those are the two Dicey Dungeons is another one. Uh -huh. I like adored all three of those games, and two of them are roguelikes, which I generally don't really love. And they're all excellent, and they're all twenty dollar indie games that are just like just amazingly done. They're full of things to do. Like they're they're very rich in everything. The music's great. Everything about them is great. Like I don't feel like I'm playing some like high school project when you no. play an indie game, which I, I think a lot of people might still kind of have that idea of them. Another kind of side to it too, I I wish we would get even more like I don't even know what you would call them, like smaller projects from big studios. Two examples are the one this article mentions is the new Prince of Persia, which I haven't played yet, but I do want to play. That's a Ubisoft game, but it's not Ubisoft's typical like 60, 70 hour Assassin's Creed massive game. It's like mm. a 25 hour Metroidvania 2D platformer from the same team that made Rayman Legends. And then last year, the game Hi-Fi Rush, which I think I might have recommended on the show, um, that came, I forget the name of the studio, but it was the same studio that made um, the Evil Within games from Shinji Mikami, who used to um, be in charge of Resident Evil. Okay. That game came out of nowhere, and it was like an action, um, like an action rhythm game, like an action game like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta, but with a rhythm element to it. It had great graphics, great music. It was a quirky story. Like it was just a fun game. Yeah. It felt like the studio just kind of having fun and letting loose and making something that they wouldn't normally make. I'd love to see more of that. Like sure, yeah. relaxed timelines, developers being clever with different ideas. That's so much better than the next big Far Cry or Call of Duty or whatever, which I know those games make a lot of money, but... I would even be okay with big developers doing smaller projects like this and having more of them per year instead of the, the massive money sinks that have to make a bajillion dollars to break even, you know? So it's tricky. Just a couple other thoughts in this area.
It is recommendations time, that part of the show where myself and my guest host uh, bring you something that we've enjoyed and experienced over the past week or so and uh, suggest that you suggest it so that you might check it out yourself. Uh, ben hasn't been on the show for a while, so I'm going to let him go first. I get to go first. Okay. <laughs> um, speaking of indie games, I'm going to recommend... Well, I should state this. Technically, the indie game label on this is a little bit wonky because it has a larger publisher so i think there was some controversy at the game awards about um whether it was really an indie so just with that in mind it's a smaller you know a, a not a huge triple a game you might have heard of um it's called dave the diver it came out in 2023 on steam and then later in the year on switch um dave the diver is a kind of a, a game of mixed genres so you play as a guy named dave who's a diver um unsurprisingly and the game is kind of split up to where during the day in the game you um dive and catch fish and then in the nights you there's a sushi restaurant uh that's run by your friends and the fish that you catch during the day you prepare um into meals to run the restaurant right. and you make money from doing that um so people it's kind of like the 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 ocean parts are kind of like a calm, casual thing. Like there are, you know, you have so much air you have to watch and if you get hit, it drops your air, but there's lots of different fish to catch. Um, there's a there's a story too, like there's an overarching story where you're discovering like an ancient civilization. So as you're playing, there's always something pushing you forward. Um, the game is really varied. Like there's a lot of different systems and things that introduces slowly. So it has a really good gameplay loop where, you know, you're catching fish to make sushi. And then when you sell the sushi, you make money and then money helps you upgrade your equipment so that you can catch better fish and dive deeper and all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's a really charming game. Um, the dialogue's kind of fun, the music's solid, and it just, there's always something new to do, and it's always showing you something new. So, and you can kind of do as much as you like with customizing the sushi bar and um, how much you serve customers. You can hire people, research new dishes, that kind of thing. So, if it sounds like something you would enjoy, it's definitely a fun game, whether you enjoy the, the casual diving part or you like to do the restaurant management there's a little bit of something for everybody um and it's only twenty dollars and it's a pretty good amount to do so i would definitely recommend dave the diver if you're into that kind of game and uh it was definitely probably maybe not one you heard about in 2023 but definitely one i'd recommend um very varied and enjoyable so okay and what platforms yeah. are on uh switch and steam only at the moment i believe i don't think it's on anything else let me double check uh I think it's also available on Mac. Yeah, Mac and Windows via Steam, um, Switch otherwise. So, Okay. Yeah, yes, have verified on Steam Deck as well. I kind of forget that that's like a kind of a separate platform-ish now, but yeah. Okay. Dave the Diver, that's the one. Excellent. That sounds good. Now, I, um, I've got a bit of an old one here. So I'm going to uh, just, I'm just going to explain it basically. There's a thing called Lego VIP. Okay, which if you anyone can sign up, that you don't have to pay to join it or anything like that. It's like a, it's basically a loyalty system for Lego, okay. and uh, so every time you buy something on Lego.com or in an official Lego store, and you get your card um, swiped or you know the barcode read or whatever, you um, you gain points, and thereby you gain some credits. Also, and I, I, it just so happens that at, at this point in time, certainly in the um, the UK, Lego.com, you get two, you get double po uh, points on all purchases until the uh, 24th of January. But that's not what I was talking about. The reason I mention this is because my, my son's a little bit unwell at the moment, and uh, he, he 
he wants to spend a bit of time with me because he's feeling a bit grumpy about everything. He's got a bit of headache and a fever. And I found, um, he, he dug out a Lego. He said he wanted to do something with me. I said, well, we can't play video game because, you know, you've got headaches. Like, you can't be looking at a screen. We can't really do anything messy because, you know, I've got work and mum's not feeling well. Why don't we do some Lego? Now, it just so happened he had a Lego box from Christmas that he hadn't opened yet. And this was oh. a Lego exclusive. So basically, if you're a member of the Lego VIP, you can get special... If, if you spend a certain amount of money in the Lego store, you can get special kits that you can't buy. Oh, fancy, okay. Off the shelf, yeah. So we, we were doing this um, little uh, some little Lego pirate kit. Uh, some pirates on a desert island with a you know a ruined ship and a slide on it because you know why why wouldn't you put a slide on your ship after you'd run aground and i was just thinking how nice it was to have this to play with that you you know you you just don't have the opportunity to buy off the shelf i probably wouldn't buy something like that for any of the children because it's a little bit on the silly side um yeah i know there's a good there's good case for imagination and everything and so and i just think the, the lego um vip program is a really good thing to be part of because again as i mentioned you can you generate points and you can use those credits to um get discounts and there's all sorts of stuff you can buy from them I'm, I'm just looking at my points amount at the moment it's a lot higher than i thought it was and there's various things that you can uh, spend it on from uh, vouchers and discounts to you know, little bits of Lego, uh, disc, um, money off uh, going to the Lego land, all sorts of things. So okay. it's, uh, if there's a Lego store near you, I would recommend getting on the Lego VIP slash insiders uh, program. Basically. I don't That's know if there's a Lego store near me. Oh, there okay. is one actually at a mall oh, right. nearby. I remember when I was at uh, Disney World with my family quite a while ago. Yeah, um, we went to Downtown Disney, and there's a Lego store there. I've never been a huge Lego person. I'm not a very creative person, unfortunately. So they kind of, if I'm like building something from instructions, I would enjoy Lego. But if I just had like a giant box and just had to make stuff up myself, I'm not very good at that. Oh, but right. it was cool seeing like all the different color pieces arranged in the store and everything that they have. I like when those loyalty programs let you get exclusive things, like you were saying. Yeah. It, makes, it reminds me of in the old days, the Club Nintendo program, which was really, really great. It was the same thing. When you bought a game, there was a code in the box that you would redeem for points. And then once you had enough, there were some exclusive, like, full games. I mean, they were like, calling them full. Like, for example, the game Punch-Out, the Wii version. Okay. There was a, a Club Nintendo exclusive called Doc Lewis's Punch-Out, and it was just the game of punch out except you could fight your trainer okay. so not like the not like an amazing it wasn't the full game it was like a demo basically but it was unique because you could, the, the only place you could get that was at club nintendo so right. if you have that now it's i wouldn't say it's rare but it's not something everybody had sure so it's cool when those loyalty programs reward you with like unique kits of lego or whatever it is so yeah, yeah. sounds sounds yeah. solid i enjoy it i um i mean I've, I've, i'll be honest I um, I have had Lego for a very long time. Uh, what year is it now? Yeah. So 2024? 2024 now. So si since probably at least 1979, I have had Lego in my possession and probably a little bit before that as well. And I, I think, uh, so I was, I was four at the end of 1979. So that birthday, I definitely got a Lego train set. And... It's it's been with me in one form or another over the years for m most of those forty five 
years. Not the train set, just Lego in general. I just I've always had fun playing it. My kids have um, my kids have got. I used to think I had loads of Lego, right? And I basically had a standard. You know, like those baby boxes that you you put the nappies and the cream and stuff in as a full back lid and stuff. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So when I was a kid, that's how much Lego I had. Just that one box of Lego. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. My children have so much more than... I thought I had a lot of Lego when I was a kid. They've just got it coming out of the... Well, coming out of the rears, I was going to say. It's literally <laughs> falling out of the bedroom doors in some days. There's insane amount of Lego. Um, so, yeah, Lego's a big uh, big thing in our family. So, yeah, that, anyway, that's my recommendation. Um, and, of course, there's, um, there's very, very digital advantages to that as well, if you want to heavy make use of angle on that. That brings us to the end of this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back for another show next week. If you have uh, anything you wish to share with us, do get in touch with us through uh, Facebook or Twitter or directly to the site. You'll be able to contact us there. And if you have a... Um, if you can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. We will read out your review and it will help us to uh, reach more listeners. Take care. Until next week, it's goodbye from us. Goodbye from us.